This episode of the Insurance Coffee House is sponsored by Insurance Search. Insurance Search provides executive recruitment services to insurance companies and brokers in the UK and across the United States. Visit insurance-search.com for more details. The Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get to meet and learn from some of the most successful insurance business leaders from across the world. Hosted by Nick Hoadley, CEO of Insurance Search. Welcome to the Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get the chance to meet and learn from some of the most successful insurance business leaders on the planet. On today's episode, I am delighted to be joined by the CEO of Lancashire Syndicates, Emma Woolley. Welcome to the show, Emma. Thanks, Nick. Emma, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. I've been really looking forward to finding out more about your career and the great work that you're doing there at Lancashire Syndicates. So before we go into the main body of the questions today, can I ask you to share a little bit more with our listeners about your career path and how you've got to where you are now? Yeah, sure. So I've come from quite a non-traditional route, I would say. And as I sort of talk through, I think it will be it will be clear why. So so I lived at that time about half an hour from London. And I used to go to London when I was a kid and just always thought that I'd work in London. I just loved the city. I thought it was vibrant. I thought it was energised. I just loved London. So I left school. I had to go and do my A-levels. My dad made me go and do my A-levels. But I was chomping at the bit, actually, to, to get out and about. So I applied to university and thought I'll take a year and I'll go and work in London like a lot of people do in our industry. And um, I went and just I had two offers of a job, actually. I had a shipping job and I had a Lloyd's broker job. And I went for the Lloyd's broker because I walked past Lloyd's on my way to the interview. So it was a, a Lloyd's broker called BMS. And I knew nothing about it, which is still going to this day. I'm pleased to say everywhere I've worked for is still going. Touch (laughs) wood. No one had to jinx them. So I didn't know anything about Lloyd's. I didn't know anything about insurance. But we walked, I was with a friend actually who had an interview on the same day. And we walked past the Lloyd's building. And I just thought, oh gosh, I I love the look of that. Just so busy, people in and out. There's the waiters on the door and the mystery. So I took the Lloyd's broker job and never looked back really I never even considered going to university after that I just I wanted to be in London so I ended up staying there for seven years really a a very good experience I would say it's where I learned the ropes about our industry Mm -hmm. and I think broking houses are really good ways to do that you sort of get to know the customers as well as the um, carriers really well and then after about seven years, I left. So there I was doing sort of, I did a job called wordings, which still exists, but they're like hen's teeth wordings, people, and command yeah. a, a great sum of money and are in demand now. So I probably should have stuck with that. <laughs> <laughs> it was slightly easier than being CEO. <laughs> so I did that and I did some sort of, you know, breaking of wordings, etc. And just, you know, really enjoyed it. And it was a very interesting time in our market. You know, there was, it would, Lloyd had just come out of reconstruction and renewal, Mm. lots of change. And then 9-11 happened, which obviously, wow, you know, big, massive event just, you know, globally. And so it was against that backdrop that I I stayed in our industry, went to work for a place called Swiss Re a couple of years a couple of years after 9-11 actually and there I really that was a different experience for me that was about honing my skills it was a really great place to learn lots of brilliant minds so I did that for a few years then I went to a place called Canopus 
And then I got interested in regulation. So I recognised I was bored, if I'm honest. I was bored. I'd done kind of the same thing-ish for around nine years by that point and thought, and I was only in my late 20s. And there wasn't really anywhere else for me to go. So I could see that regulation was becoming a thing. The FSA had been formed by then and I really wanted to get into compliance. And it was at Canopius that someone gave me an opportunity to do that, who I'll be ever forever thankful to. He works with me now, actually. You know, that's how I showed my gratitude. <laughs> <laughs> Repay the favour. Exactly. He's won the lottery of employment, coming to work with us. <laughs> So he gave me my first job in compliance. I loved compliance because mm. the scope was just massive. You know, we I got to be involved in absolutely everything. It was a great grounding for this job, actually, although, of course, I didn't realise that at the time. Yeah. And then I went to Lancashire. I went to Lancashire as compliance director and then became CEO. Brilliant. And, and how are things going with the business at the moment? Obviously, time of recording, it's April 21, hopefully coming out of our last lockdown of the pandemic. But how have things been there for the last 18 months or so? Yeah, you know, I think across our whole industry, we've, we've proved that we're capable of more than we think we're, we're capable of, you know, and we're notoriously slow to change as an insurance industry. But you know, necessity is the mother of invention and we were all forced into it. And I, I think that, you know, now we're starting to almost come awake again and the city's starting to open up more. So I think it's an exciting time. I think the market's at an exciting point. And as you say, coming out of COVID, it's just given everyone a, mm. it's re-energised everyone and also made us see the value of the things that perhaps we took for granted before. Thank you so much, Emma. I think it's uh, great for our listeners to get that insight into your career before we move into the main body of our questions. As you started out your first job, you said you were walking past the Lloyd's building, the, the original insurance coffee house. As we're in the insurance coffee house uh, podcast today, what, what is your go-to coffee of choice in the morning, Emma? So all the coffee aficionados are about to cringe because I go to Starbucks and I have an almond milk hazelnut latte. That's what I have. So it's like adult milkshake, really. But <laughs> I, I go to the Starbucks next to Lloyd's actually every day. I order in advance because I love efficiency. I don't like to queue. I'm very, very impatient. So I order in yeah. advance. They know me. They know what I like. They give me two pumps of hazelnut and I go on my way. So that sets me up for the day. Well, yeah, like like you say, I'm sure uh, you probably can't taste too much of the coffee in that. Uh, we've also given our uh, listeners some good insight onto, onto your daily routine, so I'm sure any of them would like to buy you a, a, a coffee in Starbucks in the morning. More than welcome. Yeah, welcome <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks, Emma. On that note, what do you do personally on a daily basis that helps set you up for a successful day? So I would love to say that I get up at dawn, I do some yoga, I'm a bit of meditation, feed my <laughs> children a cooked breakfast and then read the FT on the train. But that, obviously, I'm a working mother of two I've got a six-year-old and a ten-year-old so my life in the morning is busy and frenetic and messy and I love it and I wouldn't have it any other way and I just don't you know I know I'm sure people that get to do the yoga and the meditation I'm sure there's great value in that but I find great value in that frenetic busyness and just being around my children actually so I do that first thing we understand in the insurance coffee house that in, in order to be a successful insurance business leader, there's often adversity to, to overcome along the way. So 
As well as your biggest achievement so far in your career, what, what's also been the largest setback and how did you go about dealing with that? Do you know what? I thought about this question on and hard. I think so our, our careers are sort of made up of small to medium size wins and losses, you know, on a daily basis. And then every now and again, you might get one that, that looks like a biggie and you kind of deal with it. I think from my perspective, I always feel like things seem more significant than they actually are in the rearview mirror. So yeah. when you move on. So I think perspective is a really important thing to, to maintain. And, you know, I like to think that, I mean, it's part of resilience, isn't it? And as leaders, we need to cultivate resilience. I think it's an essential part of yeah. leading. Really. So I think it's important to maintain perspective. I think it's important to take the value out of both good and bad experiences. So rather than kind of lamenting uh, situations or seeing them as bad, I think, you know, every experience has something to offer us. Yeah. And actually, I think that's what builds resilience. For me, it's a mixture of kind of experience and and the way you dealt with it and and learning each time you deal with it what what went well what didn't so I think you know in terms of dealing with setbacks my my way of dealing with it I think the first thing to do is to I sort of assess the situation so I think you know rather than and and almost from a detached perspective so mm. it's hard to do that sometimes because that thing about when everyone around you is losing their heads I think as a leader, people look to you to be the one who just says, look, let's just calmly look at what's happened. Keep a cool head, be detached and kind of view it, you know, from a, uh, you know, from a, a height, if you like, a perspective that, you know, a helicopter perspective. And I think that kicks your brain into the sort of coming up with innovative solutions. I think that kicks your brain into thinking about solutions rather than panicking and kind of losing your, your thought. So I think, you know, what I do in those situations, I assess, I discuss it with my trusted advisors or people that I need information from, and then I think it's really important to act. Mm. I think what people do sometimes in situations when, when they're in setback situations is they're almost frozen into inaction. Yeah. And you see that they can't, they just, it's almost, fear just paralyzes them or the panic or the frenetic energy around them from other people and I think you kind of have to maintain that steadiness and be the anchor for everyone so uh, and the only way you do that in my view I mean some people are naturally resilient you know they're fortunate and they're naturally resilient uh, but I do think you can it's something you can grow I do think it's something you can strengthen and I think you do mm. that by just recognizing the value in every setback that comes your way see it as a good thing yeah now it's a great skill to have as well though to be able to take that step back and be objective it's it's often easier done with other people isn't it when when other people are going through setbacks to be able to advise them but when it's happening to yourself to take that, that sort of that passion and that those feelings out of play and actually to be able to step back and reassess things i think i think that's great and i think that's great advice for for anyone out there dealing with a similar situation at the moment. Talked about earlier your first role at, at BMS and falling into the insurance industry and, and never looking back. When was the moment that you realised that you could be successful in insurance and that you would have a, a good career? You know, I think it was pretty early on. I just 
I, I tell you, and I, I still to this day, and at the time, what I love the most about it, I love the people aspect of our industry. Yeah. It's at the heart of everything we do. And it's it's very unique. I mean, especially in the London market, I would say we're so close. We're so interconnected. The relationships matter. Trust is built. You know, that really appealed to me. And I think naturally I'm a people person. I'm an extrovert. So, I think you know, I thought this would align with my kind of personality, my values, things that I, I, you know, wanted to be part of. I think that aspect of being part of something bigger than yourself as well, I think that that is, you know, the insurance industry, it's so global in its nature. I mean, I'm 25 years ago, I entered the industry, nearly 25 years ago. You know, it's even more so now. It was then, but it's even more so now. I mean, our customer base is so diverse. Our product lines are so diverse. Yeah, it's such an interesting, vibrant industry. And we just, we totally undersell it. Mm. We're, we're far too insular. We keep yeah. it all to ourselves. You know, yeah. it, we don't tell enough people about how what great careers you can have in the insurance industry. So I think I worked out quite early that it was definitely for me. I mean, it's, it's been like a relationship over years, Nick. You know, sometimes I'm, I love our industry, but it frustrates me an equal yeah. amount because yeah. we're so slow and sometimes our group thinkiness drives me, you know, up the wall. Yeah. But but generally, I think the, the people aspect is such an mm. important part of what we do. Mm. And I think, you know, with COVID and everything that's happened, it's really reawakened our appreciation of that. You yeah. know, now everyone wants to get back together. Everyone wants to see each other again. That trait, that face-to-face, that trust. I mean, you know, people really recognise the value of it, I think, and, and good, mm-hmm. rightly so. Yeah, definitely. I think the pandemic shown just what a great industry it is, how resilient it is, and, and what amazing opportunities there are. Turning to that that people aspect, those personal relationships that you've built up over the years, have you had a, a mentor or an influential leader that you've worked with? What did you learn from them? So I have had the fortune to work with very good people. I wouldn't say there's one that that was my, you know, my mentor, if you like. I've worked with people who have mentored me and been very generous with their time and their knowledge. And, you know, I'm very, very grateful for that. But I have learned from literally everyone that I've interacted with. And I think that that is a very important thing to do. You know, it's easy to dismiss people that perhaps don't share your values or you kind of meet them and think, oh, you're talking absolute rubbish. <laughs> you know, like we all have those moments. Yeah. But yeah. I would say, even if you think that, try and look beyond that to, mm. to take the value from those interactions. Because even if it teaches you what you don't want to be or who you don't want to work for, it's all part of of learning who you are and increasing your self-awareness. So I think it's important to, to recognise the value of that. I think mentors are great. I mean, I do, I mentor people and I find it very valuable as much as I'm trying to, you know, be a value to them. Um, but I think sponsors and advocates are probably yeah, it's, it, if I'm a talker and a doer, and I would say mentoring is the talking aspect, I would say the sponsorship and the advocacy is the doing part. Yeah. And one without the other is not as powerful. So, I mean, 
I've had people where I know, you know, part of the roles that I've been offered and opportunities that I've been um, offered has been people advocating for me. Mm-hmm. You know, when I'm not in the room, and I would say, you know, as leaders, we, we need to do that. We need to invest in our people. We need to, you know, we're so, so busy, you know, executives, leaders, we're so, so busy. that You need to make time, you know, to do that mentoring, that advocacy, that sponsorship of the right people. Absolutely. And I love what you say there about the, the advocacy and the sponsorship actually doing, helping people in their careers rather than just the talking. The talking is very important and that mentoring and learning is important, but also yeah, believing in people and, and, and helping push forward their careers. For them. Taking a look into the future now, how do you see the insurance industry developing over the next three to five years or so? And what do you think insurance business leaders should be doing now in order to be successful in those times? I mean, we're notoriously slow, as you said before, you know, as an industry, we're notoriously slow. So there's there's the, the heart of what I want to say, and then there's the head of what I want to say. So with my heart, I would like to say that I think we're having the right conversations. We're thinking about the right things. The trajectory is good. And when I say those things, I mean, we're talking about diversity of thought we're talking about innovation we're talking about ESG new ideas new products there's a recognition that our customer base is changing you know and we will need to in the future in the not too distant future either act on what we know so I mean I look at the new generation coming through I mean they are a generation, if I think about my son, for example, 10 years old, he he is 10 years away from being either a customer or an employee or, you know, someone that we want to attract into our industry. He and his cohort, his friends have grown up around tech. Since my yeah. son was born, he's all, there's always been the internet. And what he learns at school absolutely blows my mind because it's completely different to what we learn. His wants and needs will be different to the wants and needs of the customer base today. And, you know, I like to think that as an industry, we recognise that because we have in the past, but we sometimes have been incredibly slow. And, you know, we need to attract these people in the next 10 to 15 years because we want to innovate, but who's going to do that for us? And if your workforce and your, you know, the people that are building your products don't reflect your customer base and know what their needs are, then how are we going to get that right? So with my heart, I say I think we're on the right path, but my head says three to five years is probably, you know, it's baby steps is what I would say. But I do actually have faith we get there because we do tend to in the end. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure we do. We've, we've certainly seen that with the crisis that actually fast change can happen if it's if it's needed. Emma, we're, we're now moving into the espresso round, so-called because the questions are short, sharp and straight to the point. So are you ready for the espresso round? I'm ready. With a little shot of hazelnut, obviously. <laughs> a little shot of hazelnut and a dash of milk. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the espresso round. Emma, what is your favourite success quote? It is 
a very short, simple one by Churchill. It's part of a speech he did, and it's never, 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 never give in. So, yeah, I just think in all things, resilience, res- persistence, determination, it speaks to all those things. Great mention to have in those difficult times, that's for sure. Um, the number one thing that you see holding back insurance professionals from being more successful? Um, I think, at, I mean, there's lots, but I think at the heart of all of them is fear. So fear in all of its forms. So fear of change, of yeah. difference, of movement. You know, we talk a lot about changing things, but then don't actually do it. And I think that it's it's fear that holds it back. So I think, you know, we should move beyond that and just do it anyway. Action, do it. Do you, do you think that's a mindset change that needs to happen in the market? Do you think that's happening at the moment? Or do you think it's quite a difficult concept, do you think, sometimes? I, I think it is a mindset change. I think it's more about just, fear of being different and the new and change is hard right it's it's a hard thing to do it certainly is emma and how do you drive forward the standards of the insurance industry at lancashire syndicates so i think it's about trying to level the playing field so and i think that's a lot about valuing difference trying to change our processes to include different people and different thoughts and I think open discussion and and transparency challenge and getting comfortable with change there's been a lot of change in my organization over the last few years so getting comfortable with that brilliant and what do you do to develop talent there and maximize their chances of being successful insurance business leaders of the future so invest time in them so it goes back to what I said earlier really I think there has to be a recognition that without good people nothing happens literally nothing happens that's your business so however good a leader you are if you cannot if you've got no team or you haven't got a good team to translate that through then you you know where so you have to invest invest time however hard that is in this this you know busy environment that we're in and technical skills aren't enough. So I would say to expose people to broader skills and talents and, you know, mix it up a bit. Give people something to be interested in. Flipping the coin on that side of things, if you woke up tomorrow morning and, heaven forbid, Lancashire Syndicates wasn't there, but you had all of the experience that you've built up now, how, how would you go about starting your insurance career again? What would you do differently from, from the first time around? the first thing I would actually go a little bit easier on myself so I would from a personal perspective I think I would be less fearful so what I'm advocating now I would actually I would I would do myself and I think particularly for females we sometimes are are too grateful I mean you should never be in title but I almost think we're too grateful and mm. in hindsight I probably stayed in places for too long sometimes I because I wanted to have children and I was fearful of you know what would that mean for me I, I like to think that things are changing you know since I've had my children but I probably stayed in places too long I probably accepted things that I shouldn't have I should have voted with my feet more so I would do that. I'd also work on getting to know myself earlier and what I want. Yeah. So and then kind of target places I wanted to work mm-hmm. rather than what I tended to do was to be invited by people that I used to work with. Mm-hmm. So that was great as well. Yeah, maybe just 
plan it a little bit more in terms of who who do I want work for, who who aligns with my values, and then finally I would recognise that being different is not necessarily a bad thing. So my my age, my background, the fact that I'm a woman, you know, don't don't hide that. that that's something to that's a strength. Yeah. It, it's, it's been a strength through my whole career. I just didn't yeah. realise it, and I wish I'd realised it earlier. No, that that that's brilliant, and I think it's it's, it's great to have that perspective. It's obviously easier now when you we look back, isn't it, to think how how we would do things differently. But it sounds like across your career that you've you've taken the path that you wanted to, and um, you know whether that's come through strategic planning at, at some points and other stages by just doing a great job and having good relationships with people and know, people knowing that you'll you'll do a great job for them I think I think all of that counts important. yeah it is absolutely relationships count and I, I think people should never underestimate that and also what you say about instinct so I don't th- I didn't think to myself oh I'm going to plot my course and this is what I want to do but I think instinctively I was looking for the opportunities that kind of matched what I wanted to do next. And also, as I say, I was very bright. When I wanted to get into compliance, I asked for a compliance job. I had no experience. I was head of underwriting controls at the time and went to the compliance officer and said, can I can I be your new compliance manager? Mm. And uh, he said, no. He said, no, because you haven't got enough experience. And I went, fine. And just, you know, didn't take it personally, luckily. Um, went and did a, the best job that I could as head of underwriting controls. And a year later, when I watched his compliance manager walk out the door, because <laughs> it had been absolute car crash, yeah. he came and asked me. He yeah. came to me and said, if you still want to do it. And I absolutely bit his hands off and said, yes, I would love to do it. So, yeah, like you say, sometimes it's you you make your own luck. You know, there's that old adage, and I, I agree with that. Yeah, on that note, it's our final final question of, of the day in the coffee house. Do you have one piece of closing advice for our listeners? And how would how would they go about reaching out to you after the show? I think my advice would be, I mean, it's the the, the it's sort of been a thread through this conversation. Learn from everything and everyone, mm. but then be prepared to unlearn and to learn again and to challenge yourself and your preconceptions, and adapt, you know, embrace change, value difference, um, and I think that's the key to all good things, I really do, I think it's, you know, there's no growth without change, so, and I think uh, that would be my advice, apart from never, never, never give up, that's my final <laughs> piece of advice, keep going, it's not easy, but it's doable, and just keep at it, keep at it. Thank you, thank you, I mean, that's fantastic, I'm sure our listeners would really really value that advice how would they go about contacting you after the show you happy to share some some contact yeah linkedin's good to be honest linkedin's probably the easiest way i'm terrible at getting back to people if i'm completely honest with you don't take it personally but um you know that's the downside of of having and maintaining lots of relationships you uh you know keeping up with everyone but yeah sure yeah brilliant brilliant well thank you so much for that it's been been a real pleasure to have you on the show today and it's been really fascinating to hear about your career but also the the great work you're doing there at Lancashire Syndicate so so thanks very much thanks for having me Nick absolute pleasure to all the insurance business leaders out there whether you're based in the UK or in the United States or across the world we thank you for listening I'm sure you would have gained some excellent learnings and some valuable career advice from Emma today 
if you do enjoy the show, please leave us a review on iTunes or on your podcast app and make sure that you download and subscribe to the show that you receive each one of our episodes directly into your app each week. Till next time, I've been Nick Hoadley. This has been the Insurance Coffee House. Take care. You've been listening to the Insurance Coffee House with Nick Hoadley. Join us next time to hear more insights and inspiring success stories to help you become a better insurance business leader. Available to download or subscribe now.